God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to do something a little bit different this morning, focusing on the song that we sang together, composed by Mary, the mother of Jesus. I want to reflect a little bit on each phrase, giving us a little something to store up and treasure away in our hearts as we enter this sacred space of Jesus' nativity. The piece of scripture that we sang in place of a psalm this morning is properly understood, a psalm, though it's not from the book of the Bible bearing that name. Mary's song, which is often called Magnificat, which comes from the first word of the song when translated in Latin, is part of a long and honored tradition of prophetic utterances throughout all of Hebrew history. One of the earliest of these praise prophecies is the song of Miriam, who was the older sister of Moses, and whose name itself is a variation of Mary. There on the shore of the Red Sea, where God has just held up the waves so that the Israelites can pass through the waters unharmed, the walls of water then come crashing back down upon the Egyptians who are in pursuit. It's not a coincidence that the first thing the Hebrews do is pass through water and leave their oppressors to drown. The first thing that Christians are called to do is to pass through the waters of baptism and leave the oppression of sin behind in the font. At that moment of triumphant emergence, Sister Miriam dances and sings, speaking aloud the actions that God has just taken on their behalf, the love that he's shown in his deliverance and the devotion he has shown in the plan that he's undertaking. In the song that faces us this morning in your bulletin, another Mary stands on the other side of another great miracle, that of Jesus coming, God coming into her as a baby. And in a larger way of God coming to be with humanity, entering the experiences, joyful, and full of heartache that we have in the most intimate way that he can as a human himself. So let's look at what her prophecy tells us, what we might glean from her about who God is and where we are. She breaks out in song when she arrives at the home of her cousin Elizabeth, who pitches a real softball to her to lead into this song, telling her cousin Mary that she is the most blessed of women and that the baby in her own womb recognizes the presence of the Lord with her. Mary says, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. 
Magnificat is a translation of the word proclaims. Other translations in English have this as my soul magnifies the greatness of the Lord. A magnifying glass makes bigger. It focuses. There's nothing wrong with the bare image itself, but a magnifying glass can help a viewer see something more clearly, can help overcome the limitations in the eyes of the beholder. Just like we, as image bearers of God, are called to help our brothers and sisters, all of humanity, not just those in the church or in the pews next to us, but every single person in the world, to see God's glory as God desires to be revealed and reflected, magnified in each one of our lives. God desires to be reflected in our actions, in our words, in the unhurriedness of our presence with one another, in the sacrificial love of attending to our children, to our sick and suffering friends and neighbors, maybe two to our marginalized siblings or co-workers. It is in the magnifying of who God is, the way that our lives work as lenses for those around us, that we ourselves are ushered into the great transforming presence and love of God in Jesus. We're led in there to rejoice. We don't have to work at the rejoicing itself. It is the unavoidable result of magnifying the Lord in each moment of our lives. Slowing down enough, being curious enough, questioning each event enough to notice how God yearns to break through He looks for us. He looks upon us. He seeks us in each moment, in this moment. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Who knows exactly what Mary meant by this, or indeed what all we might mine in the meaning. But I'm struck by the whiplash that must have come over her. Imagine one day she's a quiet little fiance in a backwater town doing her chores, anticipating her marriage, leading her normal little life. And then boom, the next day an angel has come and suddenly before she even realizes what hap- what is happening, the rest of the world, most of the world, for the rest of time, knows her name, knows her story. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. She's probably the second best known character in the entire world, behind her son, (laughs) Jesus. Her entire future is changed in that moment that God came into her life in Jesus. 
God transformed her entire future. Maybe he wants to do that for you, too. God has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. Over the last few weeks, we've heard a lot from Isaiah the prophet and Earlier in this year, in Exodus, we heard, too, about the pain between God and his people, the obstacles that come up in this relationship because of our struggle as willful human beings to submit ourselves to the obedience of God. The consequences of our own hard-heartedness have echoed throughout all of history And each one of us today can easily bring to mind the ways that we've distanced ourselves from God for the sake of our short-sighted ideas or our desire for what we think freedom might mean. So here is the good news that Mary brings to us this morning from God. God's mercy is not too far away for any person to grasp. He has mercy on those who fear him, who love him and submit to him, who seek to serve and to be obedient to him, who above all trust him with their lives. No matter what generation you are a part of, no matter the communal sins we are complicit in, God has mercy on and mercy for each one of us as we admit our sin and repent and turn away from it. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. God overturns. Each relationship and action in this series of verses creates discomfort. Those who were well-established, proud, and gathered secure with their position and conceded in their wealth, Mary says, God scatters. He throws them apart He's broken up their alliances and made their clever arrangements to be foolish and useless. The mighty who find rest in their thrones, in their places of power, and their lofty proclamations, they're unseated. They're kicked out on their bottoms. Having put all their eggs in their own basket, they're left without any eggs at all. To add insult to their injury, the very people they've pressed down in order to raise themselves up are the ones who now occupy those thrones, those places of power, who make the proclamations now of truth. The lowly, the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the inconsequential, These shall inherit the earth. 
Finally, those who suffer hunger pangs, those who live in the discomfort and desperation of food insecurity or in the dark loneliness of yearning for a relationship or in the hard dehydration of feeling silenced, God promises to fill you up. Using the voice of a young, single mother, no more scandalous today than in the first century, God says that those who suffer and cry and are lonely now will be comforted. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary's pregnancy is full of promises. It is the fulfillment of so many promises. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and that the whole world would be blessed by his family. God promised King David that his dynasty would never end, but that a son of his would be on the throne forever. God promised the Israelites in exile that they would be saved, that they would be returned to their land and they would have a savior and a protector, someone to redeem them forever from their waywardness. Even today, God promised us through Mary's pregnancy as the angel declares in our gospel lesson that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. For God. So here is God's challenge to us this morning. What have you given up on as impossible? Is there no way that your spouse will ever come back to church? Is there no hope that the family rift will ever be healed? Is it inconceivable that your debts will ever be paid off? Is it impossible that addiction will ever loose its grasp on your loved one? God remembers and fulfills his promises. No matter how long it takes, no matter how strange the conditions, with God, nothing is impossible. Be bold to ask him, my brothers and sisters, for healing, for the repair of relationships, for deliverance from addiction, from debt, and for the good things which he promises to his children. Jesus himself coming tonight, coming again, is the fulfillment and the promise and the proof 
of God's love and his goodness to us. Amen. Father, God from God, light from light.